1: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm going to jump in with some dad jokes, Matt. So uh, why did uh, the mushroom always get invited to the party? I think you've done this joke. Because he's a fun guy. Why did the bacteria cross the microscope? To get to the other slide. (laughs) Like it. Um, Why was the baby amoeba so sad?
1: Um... His, a is
0: His parents just split. Um, two cows hanging out in a meadow. One cow says to the other, what do you reckon about all this mad cow disease stuff? And the other cow says, doesn't bother me, I'm a helicopter. <laughs> Look, I don't actually find these funny. I think the fact that they're ridiculous is funny. Um, LAUGHTER Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Dr. Matt, Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Mike Todorovich. I am joined by my co-host, friend, partner in crime, and colleague, Dr. Matthew Lorraine Barton. How are you? Beautiful introduction. Wow. Beautiful. Thanks, dude. Uh, Today, we're talking about infectious diseases. Now... Infectious diseases are disorders often caused by organisms like bacteria and viruses and fungi and parasites. Do you say fungi or fungi? Uh, I say
1: fungi, but I've heard fungi.
0: No, that's going too far. It's either fungi or fungi. I think I say fungi. That might be an Australian thing. Fungi. No, I think you're thinking about NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Uh. Okay. Uh, so we're talking about infectious diseases. So we're going to go through all these various microorganisms and talk about.
1: But what are, they are they
0: really an organism? Well, some of them are, right? Like bacteria and and fu- fungi. Yeah. And okay, protozoa
1: Yeah. And helminths. Yeah. Um, but uh, viruses and prions aren't living.
0: No. So Not is that like you or I
1: is that a definition of a
0: organism? Something has to be living. I think. Uh, it's a good question. I think the definition of an organism is that it probably needs to have the capacity, well at least living, the definition, actually we don't have a definition, a true definition of living, but one. No, no, are you we, sure? No, we don't have a true definition of living, but
1: one. Able to replicate and generate that's one metabolic definition. activity.
0: That's one definition. One definition includes the ability to uh, synthesize its own proteins, yeah. um, which viruses can't do. Mm. Uh, and... Also, the ability to create its own energy, like you said, Mm. which viruses also can't do. And prions definitely can't do because they're just misfolded proteins. But we will get to all of that. So So can we just
1: say um, infectious agents then instead of uh, organisms? Great.
0: Perfect. We're talking about infectious agents today and these agents include Which are basically
1: pathogenic, right? We're really just talking about them in their disease-causing state. That's right. Rather than, you know, just bacteria generally out in the world.
0: Yeah, because you'll probably find that most of these microorganisms, most viruses, most bacteria, most fungi actually don't cause disease. They're just good guys. They're just good guys. They don't cause disease. So we are talking about the disease-causing types. And again, the I was going to say microorganisms, but the agents that we're going to be talking about today, the pathogenic agents that can cause infectious disease Mm. will be viruses, prions bacteria fungi protozoa and helminths okay and to uh, worms and what is what
1: is the definition of an infection oh my god man
0: definitions all all day um no definition of an infection is an organism or agent i suppose <laughs> that can invade aspects of the body or tissues and replicate to cause disease right okay yeah. So that's an infection. So
1: basically it has to cause a disease, a pathogenic outcome. Yeah. So and, but it's kind of over, overcoming our immune system to do so.
0: In in one way or another. Yeah. It's either evading it, overcoming it, or suppressing it. Okay. Right?
1: So basically just causing cellular injury. Uh, I'm just trying to think yeah, of it. No how one. is it? I mean, you can s-
0: recreate the definition if you like, <laughs> Matt, to make it simpler <laughs> for you. But, but generally speaking... The definition of an infection is an agent okay. or microorganism, most commonly that in invades tissue and replicates within that tissue.
1: All right. So, for a bit of clonic- clinical, not clinical, uh, clinical context, um, how uh, widespread or how d- you know what, common, what, maybe common, common disease, even mortality, calls in are these infectious agents? Uh, if you were to look at the developed world, um, say like Australia, in the top ten causes of death in Australia, two of the top ten is from infectious diseases, which okay. are obviously from infectious agents. These being are. pneumonia right. and influenza. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, is the pneumonia bacterial or viral, or is that including both? I think it's all. all or okay. it's, it's also fungal. As well. Oh yeah, of course. Um, so it could uh, include three maybe, possibly, yeah. um, whereas influenza is just a virus. Okay. Um, so the developing world, um, actually five of the top ten is infectious agents. Wow, so, so half. Yeah. So the top three, I'm not sure if these are in order, but top three um, leading causes of death in the developing world, uh, lower respiratory infection, Probably almost the same as pneumonia. uh, There's probably a few others in there, but pneumonia um, would probably encompass the majority of that umbrella. Uh, HIV and then uh, diarrhoea diseases, which um, probably also like we saw with pneumonia. TB
0: be up there with the lower respiratory, right?
1: Well, TB is on its own. Oh, It's still in the top ten, but it's not the top three. Okay. And then we have malaria.
0: Of course. Yeah. That kills millions a year. Mm. Millions.
1: So if you were going to have a guess just in those five, you'd yeah. probably say the lower respiratory – I'm happy to be corrected here – lower respiratory infections, probably uh, viruses, bacteria. HIV is a virus. Um, diarrhea. But
0: often um, many people with HIV yeah, will die right. of opportunistic. Yeah, so
1: HIV you generally – I would imagine you don't die from HIV. You you manifest into AIDS, Yeah. Um, which is kind of the long-term – um, Chronic condition yeah, associated with HIV, it. and then, like you said, um, I think one of the biggest biggest causes are pneumonia or fungal infections. That's right, yeah. It's because you've got no immune system left, um, and then diarrhoea disease is probably again a mixture of viral, bacteria, uh, protozoa. So, what
0: you're saying to me, this is what I'm hearing, is that in the developed world, infectious diseases are in the top ten killers, and in the developing world. of the top 10 killers are infectious diseases. So it's really important that anyone who's interested in health or medicine or being an aspiring health professional should understand these infectious diseases or at least the microbes or agents Agents. that cause these infectious diseases. Yep. Yep. All right, cool. Exactly.
1: So how do we want to do it? Well, My my thought, and you're you're going to disagree, but my thought is just to go from the smallest in size all the way way up up to the biggest – So the smallest is in kilodaltons.
0: Which is how we measure proteins.
1: The largest is in metres. Metres.
0: Metres. So are you the final infectious agent? (laughs) Uh, I might have one inside me. All right. A weight weight loss strategy. I don't want to do it that way.
1: Or um, going from deaf, dead, not deaf, probably also deaf. I
0: um, don't think they have ears or the capacity to hear. (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, all the way to living and then beyond.
0: And beyond living? Yeah, beyond living. Like what? Like supernatural? Meta-living. There's some supernatural organisms out there. Wow. Okay. <laughs> let's let's just start with viruses. Oh, here we go. Viruses all right. well, interesting. Let's, let's do viruses. Yeah. I mean, I think it's quite relevant considering we are in the midst of a pandemic, two years, nearly two years into a pandemic of well, a virus.
1: Well, saying that in some uh, developed countries, uh, COVID is probably breaking into the top three. Killers. Mm. Yeah. So it's surpassed influenza. And so in some – even in Australia at the moment, because we're going through a a quite a bad uh, Omicron wave, Mm. we've done pretty well in the first few waves. But in the Omicron wave, we're averaging uh, probably about 50 to 60 deaths a day. Yeah, which isn't great. And so if that was to run out every day for a year, that would probably – surpass cancer Yeah, as number two
0: yeah mm. horrible horrible yeah so if we start with viruses i think should we talk about what a virus looks like how do you want to start do you want to talk about what a virus does should we talk about this i mean viruses are the most i, I think they're so interesting they're small they're how tiny small? things no, Tw- really small man 20 to 300 nanometers 20, okay, so let's just start at small being 20 nanometers, right? Let's average 20 to 300 nanometers. Let's say 100 nanometers for average, right? One meter. We all know how big a meter is. Take- Your height. (laughs) 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 All right. (laughs) Okay, take take my height and cut me into 1,000 equal pieces and then you've got, take one of those pieces, that's a millimeter. Take one of those- pieces that millimeter and mm. cut it into a thousand pieces again take one of those that's a micrometer yep. and then take one of those micrometers cut it into a thousand again and that's a nanometer that's amazing so take a hundred of those nanometers mm. and that's a virus yeah. so definitely can't see it with the naked no. eye i think there's one virus i think called a mimi virus that you can see with a light microscope okay but but would that be
1: um when the cell's stained have to have some staining procedure rather than just see it on its own?
0: Not sure. Because I know the Mimi viruses can almost be as big, or even the Pandora virus, which has the most genes, we'll get there in a sec, uh, as big as a bacteria.
1: Okay. All right. Which is
0: pretty big because viruses can invade bacteria. But we'll get to that point in a sec. So viruses… you needed We, we needed to have an electron microscope to see them. Yes. And That's, if you look at it, it is a strange looking thing. Yeah, Many of them look like an odd looking moon lander.
1: But oh, yeah. Are they particular types? Are they like bacteriophages?
0: Bacteriophages predominantly look like that, mm. but not all. Oh, I okay. mean, all right. other viruses can look like that as as well. But generally speaking, if you were to take a virus, it's got this protein envelope on the outside called a capsid. Yep. And then inside of that, it's just got nuclei, uh, nuclei, nucleic acid. Yeah. It's just got either DNA or RNA. Mm. So you can't inside. have both,
1: you've got to have one and the other.
0: Uh, it's one or the other. Yeah, okay. And so when you, when you have a so look So that's its
1: genetic material for it to do whatever it needs to do.
0: That's right. It ba- basically genetic material that will encode certain genes that can yeah. be turned into proteins. Mm-hmm. And there's, the smallest virus has three genes and the largest has 2,500 genes, right. being the Pandora virus, being the largest one. Okay. Uh, so it, that DNA or RNA. But again, because they're just a protein shell... With DNA inside. And that protein shell can have proteins and and carbohydrates on the outside of it, either spikes or prongs or whatever it may be that act as keys to get in. Um, That's all it is. So it doesn't have organelles, subcellular structures that allow for it to synthesize its own proteins. doesn't allow for it to replicate its own DNA. It doesn't allow for it to even create its own energy. Mm. So without a host, a virus is an inert thing yeah it's not living in that sense
1: So it is an obligate intracellular parasite, parasite. which yeah. means it needs a host cell to do its thing
0: That's right must must enter a host cell a host cell and the life cycle of the virus is attaching to a host cell entering its genome so usually it just like drops its protein shell and just uh, squirts its genetic material. Into the cell. The cell. Uh, and then that genetic material will make its way. If it's if it's RNA, it needs to go backwards and turn into DNA to be incorporated into the genome. But if it's DNA, it can just be read into RNA from the nucleus. So most of this is happening all in the nucleus. So it's a
1: DNA virus?
0: Uh, DNA virus. So remember this. So molecular biology 101. You've got the cell. Mm-hmm. You've got the nucleus in the cell. Mm-hmm. And in the nucleus, you've got all the genetic material, all the DNA in the form of chromosomes, which can be unwound and read or transcribed into RNA. And then that RNA can be exported out of the nucleus to the cytoplasm. And there where there's ribosomes, they read that RNA into amino acids that spontaneously fold into proteins. And it's the proteins that do stuff in the body. Mm -hmm. So the virus that comes in will have its own proteins on the outside but they're usually just used to pick the lock to get in but the DNA or RNA that gets in if it's DNA straight into the nucleus can be read into RNA and then exported and then made if it's DNA uh, if it's RNA sorry it has to be reverse transcribed into DNA and then that DNA actually gets cut and pasted into the genome and stays there forever. That's a retrovirus. Is
1: that just retroviruses though? Yeah. Okay.
0: But you can have... So you can have single-stranded RNA Mm. of a virus, double-stranded RNA of a virus, single-stranded DNA of a virus, and double-stranded DNA of a virus. And so they all work slightly different. So where typically would
1: uh, RNA polymerase be in a normal cell?
0: The RNA polymerase is going to be in the... Is it the
1: cytoplasm? Cytoplasm. Okay. So from my understanding, RNA... Viruses will throw its genetic material in there and pretty much the first thing it does is it gets our own ribosomes to make some RNA polymerases, which is specific for that virus to then keep making its machinery. That's right. And my understanding is because this particular mechanism, the RNA viruses, because they're actually instructing our cells to make its enzyme to remake its genetic material, this can it's less efficient than, say, the DNA polymerases for the That's DNA right. viruses. so you get a lot more mutations yes. in the RNA viruses than you do in the DNA. Exactly
0: viruses. right, yeah. exactly right, high mutation rate for the RNA
1: viruses. And so COVID is an RNA virus, I think it is, um, which then would throw in a lot more mutations, which we're seeing all the time now with these yeah. variants. And the so, same with
0: um, HIV. Right? HIV is an RNA virus. and like you said, it, it makes it difficult to not just treat, but because RNA viruses tend to incorporate their genetic material into our genome, mm. you can't excise it out. It's there forever, right? So throughout history, there's always been these what's called retroviruses. Um, because they have RNA, which has to turn backwards into DNA, which then incorporates into the genome, which then gets turned into RNA again that can be read into proteins. But it has to be pasted into our genome. And if you have a look, if I were to take your DNA right now, pull it out of any cell of your body, except your red blood cells, you know, it's about two metres long, Mm. three billion base pairs, seven to nine percent of those base pairs or Nucleotides are from old retroviruses that have incorporated itself into your genome. And
1: we don't really know what they potentially could be doing. But we do know there are some examples where they've shown a benefit,
0: right? Yeah, exactly. So we've got most – we used to think they were junk. Yeah. You know, the old crap that's just been chucked into our genome doesn't do anything. But they did find that there is one endogenous retrovirus. So that's what they're called. Once they've been incorporated into our genome, they're called endogenous retroviruses, ERVs. And there's one called HERVK. You've heard of this one.
1: I think you spoke about it before. It's something to do with uh, inutro.
0: Yes. So what they found, what these researchers found, was a, this HERVK was incorporated into our genome about 200,000 years ago. Right. Okay. So it's old. We identified researchers, I should say, that three-day-old human embryos were filled with viral particles. Filled. And they're like, are they getting infected by viruses in utero? What's going on? And they found out that this virus, which is incorporated into the genome of all of us, gets expressed. The proteins of it get expressed, and they're obviously viral proteins, at day three, and their job is to circulate around the embryo to stop it from getting infected by other viruses. Wow. So it actually protects the embryo from getting things like influenza and so forth. So it's actually a life-saving, protective thing that's happened. So even though it, it, that wasn't the intention, there's no intention when all these things happen. That's, that's So some of them do a cool. function. And there's yeah. others that do functions as well. I think there's one that's associated with the placenta, which plays another important role. Yeah, that's role, right. But, that's the one I thought. But... um. You know, that's, that's amazing. Seven to nine percent of our genome is viral. So I thought that was just crazy. Yeah, well, just on that, on that point
1: when you spoke about incorporating into our DNA and um, it's going to affect the way that our own DNA is ex- expressed, something that I was going to talk about later but I think it's timely now, is that one ill effect of being infected by viruses is that they can then lead on to cancer. Because they are, I guess you could say all cancers is a genetic uh, mutation, a genetic-based disease, so there's a problem with the genes, uh, the genes that regulate our cell cycle, and we're basically causing cells just to replicate. Unchecked. Unchecked. Won't stop, just keep growing, growing, growing. And so in some cases, viruses can induce this effect, and then you can start to get uncontrolled growth. So the yeah. probably the best example would be the HPV virus, yep. the human virus, which causes can cause benign growths, which is like warts, mm-hmm. but in its more uh, malignant form, it can cause um, uh, cervical cancer. Yeah. And so now we do have a, a vaccine for that virus to prevent the cancer downstream. But there's, which is amazing, saving a, lives. Saving but there's other ones. I mean, HIV does, does have certain sarcomas that are associated with... That virus. So that's just an in, in, in interesting point, I thought, that you'd, a lot of people don't think viruses are associated with cancer, but there is a, a risk profile with it.
0: Even some viruses, even some of these endogenous retroviruses have been very recently implicated in multiple sclerosis. Oh, yes. So there's been some, some research saying that, oh, okay, some people who have some of these retroviruses previously within the, incorporated within their genome have an increased likelihood of MS, and this is something they're researching at the moment, so it's not really anything we can talk about in any more detail, but it's
1: pretty interesting. But some autoimmune diseases seem to have a a background risk of some kind of virus in an early state, which throws the immune system into some kind of not chaotic, but it, it, it may start reading things that should be typically seen as your own.
0: Throws a spanner in the works, and then it's um, yeah causes
1: you or causes our immune system to start to destruct our own tissue. In this case, with MS. Um, myelin.
0: Yeah exactly and did you know that um, I didn't realise this but viruses that infect plants and bacteria just have that protein capsid with the DNA inside but viruses that infect human cells actually have a membrane as well I didn't the, know they had a membrane. On no. the outside of and that do you know what oh, that
1: is? So, me- so all viruses that affect infect.
0: Not all like, but most
1: Okay so that's an outer membrane which is the envelope
0: the, an outer membrane which is actually made from our cell membranes. Okay, so that means it's they come stole from it from the their last the last victim. host. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, wow, that's interesting. It's amazing, isn't it?
0: So does that? What benefit
1: does that have for the virus? It
0: just allows for it to get into the cell easier because that it just fuses that membrane with it. will fuse, mm. and then you've got the capsid with the genetic material inside the cell, and then that capsid will be thrown away basically, and then the genetic material will be incorporated. either at the cytoplasm or into the nucleus. That's very cool. Yeah, which is amazing. And so, you know, it's just – for something that's, one, not living, two, has no intent. Yeah. You know, it's just just simply guided by physical laws. Hmm. They are ingenious for what they are. uh,
1: Philosophically, it makes you think, why?
0: Exactly right. Exactly right. Like
1: if there are just this dead – the um, thing that just floats around It's the almost this the air, but then as a soon need as for it, replication. Yeah, yeah.
0: a need for things to create more of itself, mm. regardless of living or not, which is amazing. So So I was saying to you earlier that the largest virus has 2,500 genes, which is the Pandora virus. It, it's the largest by genetic uh, in regards to the genome, by genes. But I think the largest in size is still the Mimi virus. And this virus can actually get infected by other viruses wow. called satellite viruses. Okay. And you're probably thinking, well, how does it replicate? If it's infected, what the satellite virus does is basically just dismantles the larger virus. It just wreaks havoc on it, so it sort of destructs it. Why we don't know.
1: Does it do it whilst it's in a host, or it can do it out? Anyway. That's a good
0: question. I don't know. I, I yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know and it's probably I don't know if it's time to move to it, but bacteriophages, which is a subcategory of a virus, it's a virus that infects a bacteria. Um, yeah, let's, far- let's go to it. Go there? Yeah. So phageophage means to eat, right? And it's named after the fact that these viruses, they create these holes or plaques. They eat these holes or plaques away in agar plates that are growing bacteria. And so if you... Have an agar plate with bacteria, you'll see the colonies grow. You throw a bacteriophage on and it sort of eats these holes and streaks away. So it just engulfs them, eats them, gets rid of them. So what's happening obviously is this virus is infecting not humans but bacteria. Bacteria. And does
1: that mean the bacteria just go through its own kind of lysis and just disappears?
0: that's right. So there's 10 to the 30 bacteria estimated to be on this planet, Right. So that's 10 followed by 30 zeros or one followed by 30 zeros. That's that's a lot. Mm. That's a big number. Bacteriophages outnumber bacteria 10 to 1. Wow. So there's a lot more. Yeah, wow. Right? Um, so bacteriophages are the most abundant – I don't want to say organism, but most abundant, for lack of a better term, organism on the planet. Yeah, okay. Uh, one mil of seawater
1: – so- Bacteriophages you'd put within the virus category?
0: 100%. Yeah, they're viruses. if you
1: were to remove those out, would bacteria outnumber viruses generally? Not sure.
0: Not sure. Okay. Not sure. But I do know that bacteriophages outnumber anything else on the planet.
1: And did they come about after bacteria started to exist?
0: Uh, I would assume so because without a host, a virus is nothing. Hmm. And so one mil of seawater has 50 times 10 to the 6 bacteriophages. Which, this is one meal. So it's just saturated within that. And this is what I love. The fact that every single day bacteriophages destroy 40% of the bacteria that lives in our oceans, Okay. which is the reason why, and I've always thought this, the ocean is filled with bacteria. Yeah. And you know that if you had like a cup of tea or coffee or something that you leave on the bench for a couple of days and bacteria grow in it, it looks like a murky soup. Why doesn't the ocean look like a soup, Could like be this murky like thing? Could be. But the reason why the ocean doesn't look like a soup is because bacteriophages are engulfing and destroying 40% of all the bacteria in there. Mm. So they are – I think they're amazing. That amazing little things.
1: And I think um, – so they're the ones that look a bit like the moon lander, right? Yeah, that's right. So they kind of have um, – so viruses can be categorised by their shape, right? So, you can have ones that are helical, which is just this spiraling of um, what is it? Just like protein corkscrew. Yeah. With its genetic material inside it. And then you can have the iso cohedral. Yeah. I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly, um, which is shaped a bit different. But these ones. A kind of a combination of both, right? They are, yeah. um, they got a body. They look, they literally look like kind of a, lander, a tick, they, yeah, where they have leg like things. Yeah, they got legs, like landing legs, and they sit a on body, and then they'll put inject. something inject their genetic material. And this is going to be interesting when we go to bacteria because my understanding is the, the bacteri- bacteriophages is a method, or maybe it's not anything to do with the bacteria trying to cause this to happen but it's just an ill effect of um, the bacteriophage infecting the bacteria but it it can be a source of antibiotic resistant Mm. in in bacteria.
0: Yeah. And we're also thinking about trying to utilise because obviously due to antibiotics at the moment and we're getting antibiotic resistance that bacteriophages may be a way around it. Maybe we could utilise bacteriophages to kill off bacteria as opposed to antibiotics.
1: Now, I can't remember the details of this story, but it's generally correct. I was reading a book recently on the history of, it's probably vaccines and diseases, and there was a group in America that was leading research in bacteriophages, um, for whatever reason, I can't remember exactly. But um, another researcher wanted to get access to their bacteriophage to do, uh, I'm not sure if it was for vaccine research or just research on the genome of um, bacteria to overcome um, treatment or um, vaccine vaccinology. Now, the the researcher was quite sure that the other leading researcher in America would not share their bacteriophages with them. So, in the, this was probably done number of dec- decades ago, yeah. when academics communicated with each other through writing yeah. letters. Yeah. And so <laughs> this researcher sent a letter to request their bacteriophages, but they knew that it was going to be a, a rejection letter. So a couple of, I don't know, weeks, months later, the rejection letter came, but they, they knew that it would have been written... Um, probably in the lab or in the office where
0: – Or at least they would be, be carrying. Carrying in the bacteriophages. Yeah. And then
1: they just um, cultured – Swabbed the word, letter and the cultured letter it up. And, and wow. stole it.
0: Wow. Wow. How's yeah. that? How's that? That's amazing. I wouldn't be surprised how much stuff you take away from the labs on your person, yeah. especially if you're dealing with viruses, bacteria and so forth. I know you've got PPE, but if you're talking about it in the 70s or 80s, a lot of things were done without gloves. Yeah. And lab coats. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's just crazy. So, what else do you think people need to know about viruses?
1: The only thing I'll just finish on, and this is more to do with um, the effects of the viruses, because I don't think we should just go through every There's type no point of virus. Listing diseases. Just, yeah. But what are their outcomes? So, when we get infected by viruses um, as humans, you could um, have a transient infection. And some good examples of those would be, say, the common cold or the head cold or influenza. This is basically where the virus will come in, Most probably most, well, at least for the cold and the influenza. They're going to be upper respiratory, so they're going to probably come in through contact or air, aerosol, and lodge themselves in your nasal or oral mucosa, infect the cells and then start replicating. But, you know, eventually your immune system will overcome those and that's why it's transient, but now you go into some um, viruses that could be persistent, so they kind of just stay chronic. They may not necessarily appear to manifest actively, but they are kind of in the background. An example would be hepatitis. Yeah. So you could have certain chronic hepatitis viruses like Hep B, Hep C, which uh, impact in your hepatocytes and your liver, and then over time they'll either die off or scar up and your liver becomes dysfunctional that's the hepatitis. Well, hepatitis is inflammation of the liver, but you probably end up with liver failure. But even in those cases, you can get cancer of the liver from those viruses. Mm. So then it goes to another category, which is latent viruses. And so this is where you could have your um, herpes viruses like varicella or simplex. And this is like cold sore. They kind of Go and come back. Shingles. Maybe they're not so much latent. They're maybe just recurrent. But yeah, that's a good example. So varicella, you get infected by chickenpox yep. as a child. You think, oh, the pox has come out. It's manifested in your skin. Oh, that's it. Yeah, it goes away, away. you age 20, 30 years and then... But what they actually do is they that virus hangs out on just the side of your spinal cord called the dorsal root ganglion, which is the sensory component of your spinal or your cranial nerves, the sensory ones. Mm. And they just hang out there and could be for decades and yeah. decades until your immune system probably is compromised or you're distressed and then, interestingly, I don't know why, I don't know if it's just... No one lo- knows why. I don't know if it's just located in one DRG mm. or if it's on all of them and yeah. it just comes out of one, but for some reason it just comes... Well, we, we wrote a paper on this, yeah. didn't we,
0: and we have no idea. We had a we had a patient, not us personally, but we had a, a case study where a patient came in presenting with vericella zoster, which is the...
1: Because usually you get, it, you get it on your spinal... You get it in the spinal... Um, Sensory nerve. So yeah. it usually goes out on the body wall, like near your ribs or yes. chest wall.
0: You usually get a dermatome presentation yeah. of it reinfecting. And if it's yeah on your abdominal wall, or maybe it's the back of your leg or whatever, but it's a dermatomal presentation. And it's a lot of, it's very painful. Yeah, very painful. But we had. Uh, but when it's on your. Nerves, Cranial nerve.
1: It's usually in the trigeminal nerve, so it's, it's either in V1, yeah. V2, or V3, and sometimes it, people even get it across their eyes. Yes. And this guy it, had this the, one had it in number nine, glossopharyngeal. Yeah. So it.
0: So what? How how was he presenting again? Do you remember?
1: Well, it's just it's all uni unilateral. Yeah, so it's side. always one side. So back of their throat. So they had kind of eruptions in the back of their throat where the glossopharyngeal innervates the back of the mucosa where you get your gag reflex. Mm. But then it also manifested – because the glossopharyngeal is a mixed nerve, it has kind of mixed sensory, it also affected other things like – Taste. Yeah, taste and uh, even the sensation of – well, it kind of gave him uh, ring in ears. Yeah, yeah. And that probably more to do with uh, an influence of the muscle that that particular – I know it's a sensory but it it kind of impacted um, the – the one muscle that the glossopharyngeal, and that's the stylopharyngeus, which has a role in uh, opening your eustachian tube, mm. which is important for equalizing your ear, middle ear, and so
0: he felt he, a bit deaf in that. Yeah, ear. that's yeah. right. Yeah. It was interesting. So hopefully the paper comes out. It was out a very soon. unique
1: case presentation.
0: It was. Mm. It was very cool. Um,
1: anyway, so that that was that's kind of the different ways that viruses can impact health. So transient, pers- persistent, or kind of chronic. Latent or even, as I said earlier, manifesting as tumours, yeah, cancer.
0: Very interesting. Mm. So is that viruses done? Yeah,
1: I think we should move on.
0: All right. Let's move on to the second non-living form of infectious, uh, cause of infectious disease, which are prions, which is super interesting. right? So where's the name come from? Oh, I don't know. Um, Does PR, don't PR refer to protein? Yeah. Okay. Ion.
1: Infection. Oh really? Yeah, the I for, inf- for the start of infection and the O N at the end. What's the O N? Just the end of just infection. A-
0: <laughs> really?
1: Yeah. So if you just get
0: protein, protein infection, infection, you just pull parts of it, then wow. you get your prion. Scientists are idiots sometimes, but prions are really interesting because they
1: say it's. This seems very bizarre in a way.
0: Yeah this this doesn't seem real, right? This seems science fiction because yeah. we used to think that it was germs you know, organisms that needed to carry their own genetic material to be infectious. So we needed something to introduce genetic material and mm. that's what the infectious mm. agent is. So in mm. viruses, they inject it, bacteria, they bring it in and replicate and so forth. But this is strange because prions have no genetic material per se. They're proteins. Just proteins, yep. Yeah. They're already made in the body. The yeah, body yeah, yeah. makes them generally normally, at least to begin with. Um, and they have real strange effects, almost as though they are infectious when one of these proteins. So, a protein, okay. There's actually a prion protein. Yes. It's that's not right. any protein. It's not like any protein can become a prion. It is a prion protein, mm. which is encoded by. In the, our cells. In our cells. I think
1: mostly on the. Cell membrane if I'm
0: Yeah, of predominantly nerve cells. Yeah. And prion proteins are encoded by a gene called PRNP, and they're transcribed and translated normally. And like so a, we
1: so the normal ones we call PRP. Um I'm not sure what the R is. Doesn't matter. But they're called PRP C, meaning normally on the cells. Yeah. Okay. That's so, right. so that's the normal prions in our cells that have some kind of function. They don't know exactly what these do. No. There's some hypothesis. Maybe oxidative
0: stress management.
1: Yeah, it seems to, at least in the brain or let's say the nervous system, it seems Mm -hmm. that it has maybe an effect on myelination, on maintenance of memory, on maintaining synapses.
0: Yeah, but what does any of that really
1: mean? Not copy, uh, copper uptake. Oh, yeah. And... Stem cell renewal. That's some of the thoughts that what they do.
0: which means who knows. And usually when we have a protein in the body that we've just discovered and we want to figure out what it does, we take an organism and it could be like a worm or a mouse or even a bigger organism and we knock it out. We get rid of it to see what happens to the organism. So we go, oh, without the protein, they get this. So they've knocked this protein, this prime protein out in like goats and sheep and a whole bunch of mice. They're normal they're healthy yeah, okay. maybe a couple of behavioural things but generally normal so we don't really know what it does but we do know that there's two folding forms two 3D folding forms it can have one where it's folded normally and another one where it's folded probably dysfunctionally or abnormally yeah. and it results in it forming aggregates yeah. and if one of these so the normal, misfolded the- proteins touches a normal protein it causes it to be misfolded yeah and that's how it becomes infectious within the, the system, within the host system.
1: Yeah, Insane. So basically, uh, a protein is just a, a string of amino acids, right? Like a, yeah. what do you call it? A, like a pearl necklace. Like of, a pearl
0: necklace. A string of amino acids that spontaneously fold according to their side group characteristics. Yeah,
1: so depending on the arrangement of the amino acid sequence, so let's say prions could be 200 amino acids long. Okay, depending on Did the make s- that up or is that, no, I think how it's long that? approximately two hundred nine, okay. um, depending on the sequence of each amino acid would determine how it folds. And like yeah. you said, in our body, they usually are fold in a alpha helix manner, like a spiral way. But
0: prions specifically, yeah. some some fold in, in, in beta sheets yeah, and right. so forth.
1: But the ones that are the disease causing prions, they have a few alternative. Well, changed amino acids, which cause them to fold like beta sheets. Yeah. And that's the problem. So it's when the prions become beta sheeted, then then they, like you said, when they come in, or they can be just sporadically. Yeah. So one in a million people will just get a sporadic prion disease, but a lot of them will be introduced into the body. Mm. And if you introduce the beta sheet prions, then, like you said, they touch the other ones and they become... Hated. Changed and then they start to aggregate, yeah. and then that leads to neurotoxicity.
0: Yeah, so generally for, for humans, uh, the issues with the nervous system, yeah, is what you get. Yeah. So, there's three forms of prion diseases. So, you've got, like Matt said, the sporadic, where you know, very rare, spontaneously one will misfold and, and lead on from there, you've got inherited which means you've got mutations that occur. Yeah. So, so the
1: gene that codes for the prion. That's
0: right. So examples of this is the Krushfeldt-Jakob's disease, the Gerstmann-Sassler-Shainer syndrome and fatal familial insomnia. Yeah. And so about 15% of human cases are these inherited disorders. And then you can have infectious, which is actually transmissible. And so transmissible spongiform encephalopathy. Ensepaloph- uh, wow, Matt's telling me how to pronounce a word. This, things have changed. Spongy Transmissible form. spongiform encephalopathy. Yeah. So uh, TSE is the infectious form. And, so, the, re-
1: and the reason for why they call cause spongiform is just because once, they start, once the cells start to die, they cause like cysts. Mm-hmm. So if you look down the microscope, it looks like a sponge.
0: Yeah, you know, like holes in the brain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the very first account of prion disease is scrapie. Yeah. In the 1700s, found in sheep. Do you know why it's called scrapy?
1: I think once they started to get be- behavioural changes, they kept on them rubbing themselves against like yeah.
0: posts and stuff. Th- That's right, and so they had all these like bare uh, patches on yeah. their fur. fur or wool or whatever yeah. it is. Um,
1: and and interestingly, because that was the first, the um, prions that are infectious are called PRPSC. So,
0: what's SC? Oh, scrapie. sheep Sheep scrapy. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Didn't know that. Um, so prions don't just affect humans. They can infect bacteria and... Uh, I didn't know was, that. They can, sorry, infect fungi and yeast. Oh, wow. And up to 30% of fungi, yeast, well, fungi, yeast is a fungi, but 30% of fungi and yeast have prions. Wow. And they don't result in disease per se, but they do alter their behaviour as an organism, the they alter fungi. the physiology, the fungi. depending on the environment. Yeah, wow, yeah. So it's—I like, think one of the things it did was it alters like uh, nitrogen uptake, which is obviously an important part of its uh, cell cycle and, yeah. and life process and so forth. So, so prions actually play a role in that sense wow. for other organisms. But this is what I think's super interesting: is that prions and prion-like um, disorders seem to be implicated now in things like Alzheimer's and Huntington's Mm. and Parkinson's Mm. disease. Where in Alzheimer's you've got beta amyloid protein aggregates, in Parkinson's you've got alpha synuclein protein aggregates, and again they form these insoluble aggregations of misfolded proteins. They don't necessarily—they're not necessarily transmissible in the sense that if one touches another, it tends to result in the misfolding. But you do have this aggregation of misfolded proteins, and then the toxicity. So that the cells then die, and the associated toxicity, right. predominantly in dopamine neurons, and again you get. Things like you were saying before that they'd um, associated prions t- to do normally, like oxidative stress and maintaining uh, neuron integrity and yeah. things like that, they're all implicated in these diseases Alzheimer's, yeah. Parkinson's, Huntington's, and so forth. But it's still an ever growing field. Yeah, and well, probably the
1: best known one or that we have within our consciousness is the mad cow. Which Excuse are, me? You, you put it in your joke, actually, with oh, the I helicopter one. Yeah. So um, this was more prevalent in the UK, mm-hmm. which it still caused the Krushvelt-Jacobs disease, Yeah. but it started to develop a new category of that, which is called a variant of it. Um, one one other one, just to add, so the Krushvelt-Jacobs disease, one other one is nitrogenic which I think you partly touched on, this is caused by treatment. And mm-hmm. so some of the causes of it would be using implements um, that are contaminated. So ah, if they were yeah. to put electrodes into the brain or drains into the brain, so if someone was trying to remove CSF, yeah. did an intraventricular drain, then that you could introduce a prion straight into the brain. Ooh. I and think then that some, starts misfolding other yeah, prions, or some ophthalmology uh, interventions. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, I didn't think of this one, but um, HGH, so growth hormone. Oh, I, yeah. I'm guessing that the way they make that is just they get um, from brain tissue, or yeah, probably and right, and then just mush it up from and then pituitary,
0: yeah, pig pituitary or something, something like probably. that. Yeah, and then you just ingest and then it and they way. get it that way yeah. because of taking brain tissue. Yeah. That the, ooh.
1: I think that actually was one of the the main first causes of this disease was through post-mortems and something like that. I can't and remember the details. Isn't it
0: something that had come about in Papua New Guinea due to… No, that's a separate one. I'll come
1: to that in a second. Okay. But mad cow, I don't know the full details, but I think what happened in the UK because it was the, the, the main problem is they started to feed… Animal proteins to the cows. They started
0: to to feed cows to cows to
1: beef them up.
0: Beef them up. Good pun. Very good. (laughs) So you you fed a cow to a cow to beef him up. That's right. I like that.
1: So and then humans consumed these cows, whether it was just the meat of the cow, or I'm not sure if you can get through the milk, but anyway, consumption. People eat cow's brains. No, I don't think it was only from uh, brain to brain. I think we got it. Humans got it from consuming meat from. Cows.
0: I think you still can't in Australia give blood. Yeah, that's right. If you lived in the UK in the 80s, which so is, I think that's. I mean, I know it can lay dormant for decades. Yeah,
1: and that's that's one of the issues with it. You could actually have no signs and symptoms of it for decades and decades, and once you start to get the symptoms, yeah, then it's a very short
0: period of until death. So maybe yeah. less than a year, because you've probably had significant misfolding already happened by then. Like with Parkinson's disease, you know, by the time you become symptomatic, 80% of your dopamine-producing neurons are died. Yeah, right. So the mad cow was, and like you said,
1: because you could spread it through blood transfusions, then anyone who was, I think, in the UK in the 80s, was it the 80s? Maybe I think it's late, the 80s, early you 90s. you can actually donate blood just because wow. we may not have methods to test for it. Yeah. Now, go into the one you said in terms of the cura,
0: Oh, that's the, the so Papua New Guinea?
1: This is cannibalism. In is it se- Kuru Kuri? Yeah. Kuri? Uh, K-U-R-U. Kuru. Kuru. Yeah. Um, so basically this is consumption of… Um, Human inf- flesh. No, it's particularly brain. Oh, it is brain. Yeah. So uh, my understanding is um, cultural practices in New Guinea were to consume, um, whether it was tribal members for kind of maybe gaining… Something to do with those people, or if it was the opposing tribe to gain their strength or something. Mm.
0: My understanding was the males ritualistic as opposed to satisfied nutrient requirement. It was more ritualistic.
1: My understanding was the males predominantly ate the like the the skeletal muscles, right? Whereas what was left over was given to the um, mothers and children, and that's the brains, brain. And, and that's why it was hard. Yeah, You've eaten brain? Uh, yeah, I think sheep's brain.
0: Really? Yeah. I think. Firstly, why? And secondly, when? <laughs> uh,
1: some part time a part ago. Of your
0: Scottish tour? Some time ago. Now, if you're a Scottish listener, uh, is that a thing? Do you eat? I know haggis. Haggis is just organs, right? Does that include brain? Is brain part of haggis? Not sure. Or is that all? Scottish listeners, send me an email. GU biosciences B I O. I need to change that email biosciences <laughs> at, at gmail, or you can just email me directly Dr. Mike Todorovic. Do that D R M I K E T O D O R O V I C at gmail.com. And if you're a Scottish listener and you eat haggis, tell me, does that include sheep's brains okay, or just I'm, brain? I'm interested. Animal brain, animal brain. Um, well, haggis is sheep, isn't it? Or is it any organ? Yeah. Again, answer that question for me. <laughs> I'm ignorant. Okay,
1: I think that's pretty much it for prions. Sweet. Yep. What's next? Well, we can jump now. We can bacteria? kind of jump. Well, we, we can now jump into living things. Oh, all right. So now we can go to bacteria, but bacteria is still classified as
0: prokaryote. Do you want to define that? Uh, pro meaning before, karyote meaning nut. So it was oh. before the nut, uh, which is referring to the nucleus. Okay. So it... Prokaryote before nucleus or before a true nucleus.
1: Or karyote, isn't that referring to chromosome?
0: Prokaryote. Or Uh, karyote, because if you do a a karyotype, Yeah, is referring to uh, typing or viewing or having a look at the chromosomal arrangement. Mm. Uh, So what you'll find is that eukaryotes will have its genetic material situated within a nicely packaged membrane. Yep. Hence, eukaryote, true nut, and then prokaryotic is before, and the genetic material is just free floating. Okay. So bacteria being prokaryotic, the genetic material is just free floating throughout the organism or a nucleoid. Which you is could call no, it nuclear, not, which is not, not, like it's not, nucleus-like. It's not
1: a; it's non-membrane bound. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so
0: back. But that's t- not the only difference with the. I mean, that's just no, one no. way of defining organisms is whether they're prokaryotic or eukaryotic. Now, obviously. Uh, viruses and prions are neither. Yeah. Um, but we're now moving into prokaryotes, which is bacteria. And the genetic material is v- quite different. I mean, they're still made up of the same base pairs, A's, C's, G's and T's, but it's circular, not linear. It's yeah. still double-stranded. Uh, and it's just floating through the cytoplasm of the organism. Yeah. Uh, but there's heaps of differences. So where do you want to begin? When, well, when just in, terms, in terms of the size,
1: the size yeah. is approximately 0.2. To 15 microns.
0: Okay. So, again, we can spoke about s- viruses being in nanometers, yep. but now you're talking in micrometers. So, yep. this is a thousand times bigger yeah. than viruses.
1: And this was the issue when um, we st- when we started to move into germ theory, which was Louis Pasteur.
0: Oh, yes. Very good. Uh,
1: they, that time, they started to identify bacteria in tissue and they came up with, you know, the toxoid vaccines, which were... Mm-hmm. Certain components associated with bacteria, but they still didn't have a handle on viruses. That so they, all the viral diseases they thought was just components of the bacteria because oh, they had no. So
0: they thought bacteria was the only yeah, microorganism. Yeah, and it wasn't until
1: the electron microscope came in that the viruses were known as something separate. So um, that's the size. Um, like you said, it's prokaryote. It's got a sem- It's got a cell membrane like our cells. Um, but it's slightly different. In what way? Um,
0: so when you say it's like ours, they've got a phospholipid bilayer.
1: Yeah, phospholip- phospholipid bilayer. Okay. So two layers to it, phosphate heads stick outwards and the lipids inside. Yep. Um, I don't think... It probably does a similar function to ours being semi-permeable, mm-hmm. but it probably...
0: Isn't. Well, it's not as... So when you look at our phospholipid bilayer, it's got that fluid mosaic model, right? Which means it's like a oil slick in that it's not a solid, rigid structure. It's constantly moving and flowing, but it does need to have some degree of um, framework or solidity to it. And that's due to, do you know what that's due to?
1: Um, things stuck in it.
0: Certain types of steroids. So like cholesterol? Cholesterol. So cholesterol embedded, but bacteria doesn't have cholesterol embedded in its membrane. So
1: they've got no heart conditions.
0: So, they, yeah, that's right. They don't, they don't have plaques that build up within their arterial system, primarily because they don't have arteries, but <laughs> they don't have cholesterol. So, their cell wall, oh, sorry, so their cell membrane is not as strong as ours. Okay. So, they need something else to strengthen it. Yep. They and- need another. Not, not necessarily a membrane, although some do have an additional membrane. They need a cell wall. Another –
1: okay, you gave it away.
0: Sorry, sorry, sorry.
1: So with bacteria, um, maybe slightly different to viruses. That,
0: well, you'd probably well, say – Very different to viruses. No, in many I just, ways. Mean,
1: I just I mean in relative to our cells. So viruses have to invade our cells to re- reproduce – Bacteria can re- technically reproduce on this table. Yes. It's a bit gross. S- similar but. to you, yeah. <laughs> so it can be an extracellular, which many of them can be. Yeah. Now some will have to... Through fission. Be,
0: yeah. Binary fission. Which is... Um, Asexual,
1: like you. Yeah. <laughs> a lot, lot like me. Um, so, but some can only live in cells, so they're yeah. obligate intracellular. Right. Or some can be faculty intracellular. So they can kind of switch between... Sitting outside, go in into the cell to do its whatever it wants to do in there, yeah. and go back out. Yeah. But when we talk about extracellular, what we're referring to in terms of disease causing, this would be in our extracellular fluid, right? Okay. So they don't need to get into our cells; they can just do it in the bloodstream, in the blood, or the, or inter- the tissue. tissue. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I was meaning. Gotcha. Um, now, because it's living in, because it's living and wanting to reproduce and generate metabolic activity in the outside world, it needs to be able to keep itself alive. Correct. Um, so it has to overcome some pretty harm, harmful uh, environments. Yes. Are
0: you just talking about its natural environment yeah, or within all, us?
1: All, all. So whether it's on the floor, in the ocean, um, on trees, in soil, or in your blood, right? Um, it's changing – environment or let's just say growing on your skin right and then getting inside into your tissue there's a change there right Mm. and so it needs to be able to regulate that change and if it didn't have this cell wall it the change in osmotic difference between sitting out on your skin now inside your body it could either explode it
0: or crenate so the cell wall is there to offer that rigidity yes yeah so right. that whatever's inside doesn't pop outside and so forth yeah I think it's important to preface all this by saying that right now Matt's talking about exogenous bacteria bacteria that don't actually live within us per se because we actually have huge amounts of microbial communities within and on us at all times that aren't harmful and because we're talking about infectious disease, in today's topic, we, we're not really touching on our microbiota, our microflora. No, no, right? We're not, no. we're not really talking about those unless, unless they're opportunistic yeah. in the sense that if our immune system drops down, they then go, Ooh, okay, I'm going to take advantage of this and try to uh, take hold of a larger environment. And that's when it can potentially be detrimental to, to our health, but mm. there's just as many bacterial cells on and in our body as there are human cells. Yeah. So, if you think about who you are as a human being, there's just as many of you as there are bacteria. But if you look at... So that's just the microbes. But if you look at microbiota, this is everything that's also comes along with the bacteria. So the genetic material. Okay. And if you look at that, bacterial ge- bacteria and the genetic material outnumber us 100-fold. Okay. So there's 100 wow. times more bacterial genomes and genes than there are human genes. So when we think about health and we go, oh, yeah, we know there's around about twenty to 25,000 human genes. We know that they get translated into proteins and these proteins do stuff in the body. Yeah, we've mapped it. We know what they do. We're pretty good there. There's 100 times more than that of proteins being made within and on us that will impact our health. Yeah, it's amazing. microbiota and our health is intrinsically regulated and we're seeing this now, but we don't know too much. So in saying that, if someone says to you that they know exactly what's going on with your microbial system, they're likely wrong. But Drink
1: this, take this, swallow yeah, this, it's, it's going to improve your biota and then you'll yes. have um, whatever. Exactly. Maybe just have a bit of caution there. Yeah,
0: I mean we know that we need to feed them and feed them well. Um, but if somebody says to you they, they know exactly about your health because of very specific types of microbiotic communities, eh, that's, that's likely not going to be the case. The best gastroenterologists I know don't really – they don't know this. right? They're just saying that there's certain uh, phyla of bacteria that if they're in higher quantities compared to other phyla that are in lower quantities – that we know that that's associated with health issues but not very specific strains. Yeah. Anyway, I just want to unless, touch But on a that. good
1: example of a pathogenic strain that kind of overcomes GIT is clostridium, right? Yeah. That's fairly absolutely. well known and yeah. that's when you may throw Deficile. an imbalance into your, let's say, your gut mm. and this becomes a dominant strain and that can cause some significant disease.
0: Yeah, diarrhoea and um, inflammatory bowel disease and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. And E. coli, you know, we've got E. coli within and on us as well and that can take hold and different strains can take hold. And absolutely. Um, we know that there are – I mean, if you think about it, there are so many – do you know how many species of bacteria there are? No. I mean, I know there's, there's likely millions um, – or I shouldn't say millions, sorry. There's likely thousands of uh, species of bacteria, but only a handful actually cause us disease. Right. I think that's an important point to take for people to take home. Listening to this is that regardless of all of these micro microbial organisms we're talking about, there are so many kinds, but only a handful actually cause us disease. That's important, mm. and you, this will be highlighted when we talk about fungi shortly. But We need to talk about the structure of this bacteria. So you said they've got a phospholipid bilayer like us. There's no cholesterol in it, so it's not that strong. So they need something else that's strong, which is a cell wall. We haven't spoken about what that's made up of yet. But that's there because bacteria are going to be changing environments all the time. And the osmotic pressures changes, which means the concentration of stuff inside and outside of it changes, which means water fluid or shifts yep. and that make, make, can make things burst and shrink and so forth. Right, but right. So this helps with that. Yep. So what is this cell wall made out of it, and is it important to know? Very much so.
1: Right. Yeah, the cell wall is made up of a combination of proteins and sugars. So it's generally referred to as a peptidoglycan. So
0: peptidoglycan, and cell the, wall. And
1: they just all snap together. Okay, Like Lego blocks? Sort like Lego of blocks. Yeah. And depending on the type of bacteria, there's two main categories. There's, I'm sure there's microbiologists listening that goes. I'm sure there's ones that fit outside this. Sure. But generally speaking, there's two main ways to classify bacteria based on the cell wall, and this would be a Gram-positive bacteria. Yep. And a Gram-negative bacteria. Yeah. So the Gram-positive has a hugely thick cell wall. I think thirty Lego blocks thick. All right. Opposed to a negative, which is I think only one. Yeah. Okay. And that just so the take-home point is here: Gram-positive bacteria have a really, really thick peptidoglycan cell, cell wall. The Gram-negative bacteria only have a very, very, very thin cell wall. Okay. Um, wall, but so, so
0: so if the Gram-negative has a thin cell wall and it needs that cell wall for strength, does it have anything else that can help? Yeah, it maintain? throws
1: another membrane outside that.
0: So, so, gram-negative have two, phospholip- yeah. two phospholipid bilayers. Correct. So, phospho- So, gram-negative has a phospholipid bilayer, a thin cell wall, then another phospholipid bilayer, yeah. and then gram-positive have a phospholipid bilayer and then a thick cell wall. Correct. Both cell walls are made up of peptid- peptidoglycans. Lego blocks snap together.
1: And regardless of whether it's gram-positive or gram-negative, all that thickness of either... Thick cell wall, membrane, or cell membrane, thin wall, membrane. Yeah. It's all called an envelope.
0: Okay? It's all, all together it's called an envelope. That's right. That's right. Okay.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, now, that some, makes sense. Now, some bacteria will add an extra thing on outside that would be a capsule. Oh, yeah. And that, generally speaking, increases the virulence of the bacteria, which means it's more… Antigenic? Pro- probably not. Well, not so much. It's more evasive to being destroyed or found… Because okay. it's just a protective outer right. sheath, let's say. Okay, so it kind of allows it to maybe move around undetected.
0: And so, and you, you're probably going to get get there in the next statement. But on the gram-negative bacteria, because they've got another cell membrane on the outside, like like we do, embedded in the cell membrane are a whole bunch of molecules mm. called lipopolysaccharides. Mm. Of fats and, and sugars, sugars mm. snap together. But they're antigenic, right? Which yeah. means the has the ability to be recognised by us yeah. as foreign. Yeah. But they're also, if they're isolated, they, they can be quite toxic to us.
1: Yeah. It, it, I think that depends on quantity. So if you okay. were flooded with these uh, lipoprotein, lipopolysaccharides, li, li, you'd potentially go into some serious ill effects like shock. Mm. But yeah, you're right. I think if you were to... Th- um, release that into an environment of cells, they would start to get pretty
0: annoyed. So I think well, something that I always talk about with my students is because bacterial infections are quite common yeah, and we treat them with antibiotics yeah. and there's like a hundred different types of antibiotics, yeah. they all work by exploiting the differences yeah. between us and Bacteria, yes, and so you've hi- we've actually highlighted two differences so far. We've highlighted one is that they have a cell wall made up of peptidoglycans, and two, I alluded to the fact that they have circular double strand, a yeah, different DNA, DNA, or
1: arrangement of DNA. Right? Are
0: there any? Is there anything else that's different between us and them that we can exploit for antibiotic use?
1: Yeah. So once you pull apart the DNA um, to expose us. This- a particular strand of it or a segment of it which is a gene which generally equates to a protein. Um, you want to take – you want to read that DNA and make it into RNA which then can be shifted off into another region of the cell to connect with ribosomes to then snap together the amino acids and that's to make a protein. Yeah, And that these amino – sorry, these ribosomes are – a difference between our ribosomes in our cells yeah. and what bacteria
0: that's right I think we, we've got I think ribosomes have 70s uh, uh, bacteria have 70s ribosomes we've got 80 and we've got 80s and all that means is it's just the, the amount of time it takes for it to sediment when you spin oh, okay. it into a centrifuge that's right. right so it just has to do with the size and the density so but 70 slightly what,
1: different what 70 seconds I think so whereas as is 80. Uh, 80. seconds. I think. But, but the take home point is they're just a different size. Yes. So if we use antibiotics, we could use an antibiotic that targets the bacteria ribosomes yeah. without targeting ours, which would then prevent um, side effects or, that's right. or less anyway.
0: That's right. Yeah. Another one. So, so, so just before you move on from that, because you spoke about antibiotics can target the ribosomes specifically because they're different. Can antibiotics target target the peptidoglycan cell wall? Yes, they yep, can. Yep. Like, do you know any antibiotics off the top of your head? That oh, penicillin, can penicillin, cefalosporin, vancomycin. So they all stop what the building of that cell wall, or they dismantle the cell wall, or both.
1: Well, um, when it's being constructed, so the the bacteria's just had children um, split apart, and so that's binary. Fission. Fission. Um, So they've just broken apart into new ones before they've had a chance to um, create their new cell wall. They need a special enzyme that clips them together, which is called a transpeptidase. Yeah. So that's like a little pincer that goes around and just snaps them together. Right. The the sugar and the protein. Okay? Snap, 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 snap. So that's a transpeptidase. Good snapping, by the way. We can call it a – I think it's named – penicillin-binding protein. Right. Okay? Now, penicillin comes from a fungus, okay, or fungi, and um, I think what they have in them is a beta-lactam ring. That's right. Okay? This beta-lactam ring fits into that pincer, so it just jams the pincer up of the bacteria, so the bacteria can't do the pincing to snap the Lego boxes together anymore, Mm. blocks together. So the cell wall just doesn't construct properly and it kind of just falls apart yeah and then ultimately the bacteria hasn't got that strength anymore and it will um, either, either lice through yeah, lices, explosion yeah. or crenation
0: that's right yeah okay but, so you got you got ribosomes you got cell wall synthesis what else well um,
1: there's an important constituent to help um, make genetic material, which mm-hmm. is vitamin B9, oh, yeah. sometimes known as folic acid. Now, luckily, humans, we get that through our diet, Yeah, but bacteria have to do this kind of complicated metabolism. They make it themselves. They make it themselves. And we so that's a, it. that's a different. Yeah, so we can do that. And we can block the enzymes you know. that um, make the folate for the bacteria so the, the bacteria loses its ability to have precursors for its genetic um creation. Yeah. So, so it will antibiotics poly-
0: like polymixins stop this.
1: Sulf sulfonamides, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then the last one, well, well it's kind of like the protein synthesis and the the DNA replicating ones.
0: Yeah. So DNA DNA replication is a big one. So you got DNA replication, DNA elongation, you got protein synthesis, you got cell wall. So yeah. there's yeah, a whole bunch and of stuff. And then the
1: uh, folic acid ones. Yep.
0: Yeah, exactly happy with that? Right. Yeah. Um
1: do you want to talk about um, antibiotic resistance at all? or uh, No. Okay. I, I mean,
0: I think the only the, thing to bring up with antibiotic resistance that I think is important is that the reason why it's a, an important thing and the reason why people say take your, all your antibiotics, even though your symptoms have been relieved, for example, you've got to get rid of all of that bacteria, is that many bacteria, for example, like E. coli, their doubling time is 20 minutes. Now, other bacteria have longer, other have shorter. But let's just take E. coli. Every 20 minutes, it doubles. Now, Mm -hmm. you may think, who cares, one to two, two to four, four to eight, and so forth. But within a couple of hours, you've got billions of bacteria, right? Billions. So, all it takes is for a mutation in one of those bacteria to be present that makes it resistant to an antibiotic and within a couple of hours of it being in your body and replicating, you've got billions of that resistant bacteria. Because yeah, it's having its
1: ch- children that it's selected for.
0: And you can cough it, sneeze it, fart it, whatever out. Is it farting? Okay, Is it maybe not fart. Poop it out and give it to somebody else and now they're resistant. So it's important to take an antibiotic to its full course to get rid of all of that bacteria that's present. So I think that's an, Im- an important thing to highlight.
1: The one thing I'll add because... It- kind of does go with the anatomy of the bacteria is a structure called a plasmid yeah that's which is important which is different this is genetic material i think it's double stranded circular genetic material yep but the difference is it it doesn't really play a role in the, the directly the functionality of the bacteria so if a bacteria wasn't to have a plasmid it wouldn't die yeah. but it generally what a plasmid would have is resistant genes within it to help the bacteria make it more likely to maybe survive and be resistant to, in this case, bacteria uh, yeah. antibiotics, right? Yeah. And what's amazing is bacteria can share these, these plasmids between each other. So you might have a bacteria that has some resistant genes against an antibiotic yep. and its neighbours down the road, down in another lymph gland, might say, hey, we need some help here semi-plasmid. Absolutely. And it sends it downstream and then it grabs it and then it ha- now has its resistant gene, which it can then throw into it, its chromosome Yep, and now it's maybe resistant to penicillin. That's right. And an example of how it could be resistant to penicillin, it could produce enzymes to break that beta-lactam ring, so yeah. that's beta-lactamases, or it could, you know, what was that pincer thing called?
0: I can't remember.
1: Some, some penicillin binding protein? For now. the cell wall, oh yes. yeah, yeah. Um, From the mutation, it might get a mutation in the shape of it. Mm-hmm. So instead of being square shaped, that the beta lactam ring fits in to kill it, it's now triangle. Mm-hmm. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. The back the antibiotic doesn't work on it, and so it can send it to its friends. Yeah, and that would be um, where you get an infection called MRSA,
0: methicillin resistant yeah. staphylococcus aureus. Yeah. I, throughout my PhD, utilize plasmids for cloning because they're circular, small bits of um, DNA from bacteria. Once you start transcribing it, it doesn't stop. You just keep – it with linear DNA like humans, if you start transcribing so you want to make a copy of it, it goes from start to finish and stops because there's an end, right? It just has this blunt end to it. But if it's circular, it just keeps going around in a circle. And so I would put a cut – in a plasmid, insert my gene of how do interest. How you put a cut in Uh Through enzymes. Shops. Oh, I thought you were going to yeah. say Nucleases. Scalpel. <laughs> so you've got enzymes called nucleases that can actually bite and open up. Like how, how do you know where? Because uh, very smart scientists have created very certain types of endonucleases that can cut at very specific nucleotides. Wow. So you can say this cuts at a CCA, TTC site. And so you go, okay, that's where I want to cut. So I cut there insert my gene of interest, ligate it, that means glue it together with other enzymes, yeah. and now it's seamlessly embedded in this plasmid. I take that plasmid. I. It's amazing. I take that plasmid. I shock with electricity the bacteria to put holes in them. They suck up this plasmid. They close up so their those, holes. Don't, they don't die. They don't die. They close the holes up. When you say holes, what do you mean in its. The- yeah. Uh, like chromosome or? No, no, they put holes in the actual bacterial wall. Okay. Right? So shocking it sort of just like freaks it out a little bit, opens it up. It's called electroporation. Okay. And it sucks up the plasmid. Yeah. It just, bre- all you need to do is it doesn't need to go into a nucleus because there's no nucleus in bacteria it just yeah. has to go into the bacteria. And because all the transcriptional machinery just floating around, mm. it just makes copies. And because bacteria double every 20 minutes, I did that at 5 p.m. I'll come back the next morning I've got billions of copies of my gene of interest. That's awesome. I then take that bacteria, kill them, lyse them, so burst them open, collect all of these plasmids, and then I do something called a PCR, polymerase chain reaction. And I can amplify them even further. That's awesome. It's just and uh, what, I can cut, and then for? I can cut the gene out again. And now I've got heaps of copies and I can insert that into a mammalian cell. So I'd go from bacterial cell to a mammalian cell and then express it. It's just amazing. What did you do that for? Oh, who knows? PhD, who remembers? No, I would express, I was expressing a human- This is for Parkinson's disease? Yeah, I I had a gene called NRF2, um, which plays an important role in oxidative stress management and had mutations in it, which came from a human and I didn't want to incorporate that mutation in. So I simply took the human gene, isolated it, pasted it into the plasmid, did this whole thing, expressed billions of copies of it, pasted it into another mammalian cell like a cancer cell that grows all the time and then right. expressed it to see where does it go? What does it do? Then I knocked it out. What does it do now that uh, it's gone? Yeah, okay. So I expressed a mutant version and I knocked down a normal version. Anyway, it's, it, it was interesting and time-consuming and I would never <laughs> do it again. <laughs> all right, so all right, we need to move on. I oh, there's think. a
1: couple of things I just want to add. Right. So um, other ways you can classify bacteria is shape. So you would have heard of cocci. Um, oh, uh, uh,
0: excuse me? That's
1: round. All right. Okay. Um, bacilli.
0: That was your nickname in high school, wasn't it? Rod shape. And right. um
1: spirilla, which is spiral. Good type of pasta. So, so this is where you get the names. Oh, and then depending on if they cluster into clumps or long strings, you might have heard things like staph. Yeah. So staphylococcus. Yeah. Meaning clumps of circles. Mm-hmm. or streptocloccus, meaning lines of circles. Um, and then you, you know, you, then you c- depend on what the bacteria do. I mean, some bacteria can cause kind of direct injury, but then you can have certain toxins that are associated with it. So I'll just really mention this very quickly, and then we'll move on to the next. Yeah, yeah, spend
0: another 40 minutes, 40 minutes. so
1: that. So – the two main toxins associated with bacteria is exotoxin yeah. and endotoxin. So endotoxins we kind of mentioned. This is gram ne- gram-negative bacteria. This is the LPS, the lipopolysaccharides.
0: Oh, that's so, on the outside of the yeah. cell membrane. So
1: the, the most active part of that lipopolysaccharide is the, um, the lipid A, yeah. which is the antigen portion that causes um, – it, it's the part that is recognised by our immune cells. I think it's a toll, toll-like receptor okay. on our immune cells – now, in some cases, if it's a low amount of this bacteria, it's actually beneficial in a way to mount an immune, system, mount an immune reaction. So if you had some of this LPS floating around in your blood in a small quantity, it would probably go through your liver. And what are the macrophages
0: of your liver? This will test you. Kupfer. Yeah.
1: So they'll pick it up and they'll say, oh, "Didn't test
0: me at all, Matt, Off it, the top of my head, brilliant, brilliant. Right off the top of my dome,
1: they'll say, "Oh, there's a bit of problems here." Let's, I'll send some interleukins out into blood, and that's going to put a fever going. So you get a fever from. I thought
0: interleukins yeah. were virus specific.
1: No, interleukins is just. Uh, a, a, They're just a, cell medias, yeah, cell yeah, to yeah. cell. That's yeah. what it means, right? Interleukin, Interleukin means between, between white cells. cells. Yeah. yeah, sorry, oh, yeah, but yeah. interleukins can just be have in different it. categories. Sure, yeah. sure. So you get fevers. Um neutrophils can cause vasodilation, um, complement effects, causes inflammation, and even B cells, B lymphocytes, that are exposed to this type of LPS can start to generate a more efficient antibody response.
0: All right
1: Now, when it's flooded with uh, these endo- endotoxins, yeah. that's when you're going to encounter some serious problems. So, this is where you should go into shock syndromes. You could get... Um, certain clotting. So
0: you go into shock syndromes, um, this is a Endotoxic question. shock. Endotoxic shock because you've had such a vast systemic, system-wide immune response that the blood vessels all just dilate. And become leaky. And what? Become leaky. Become leaky. Tissues don't get fed. Correct. Blood pressure goes to the floor and yeah. you get organ failure, organ shutdown. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. And if it's, so if it's in your lungs, you get your acute respiratory distress syndrome. If it's just blood, you're going to get a combination of clotting in into hemorrhage, so the DIC. So that's endotoxic. Quickly, the exotoxic is bacteria that actually produce this toxin outside the membrane. So it's not wow. part of the membrane. Yeah, it's just so it could be enzymes. So the the bacteria could produce particular enzymes that could cause harm in, to your tissue. It could, you know, break open collagen or other uh, connective tissue t- tissue to kind of. Cause it to break down. Yep. Okay. Or you may get certain um, exotoxins that can cause neurological deficits. So this would be like um, botulism or or tetanus. So these play a role with um, the way that neurotransmitters work at the synapse.
0: So when people get Botox, they're injecting exotoxins?
1: So that causes flaccid paralysis. So that just makes all your muscles go floppy. Right. So if that's in your forehead. Yeah. Yeah. It just, no wrinkles. You, you don't get
0: any wrinkles. right? just right. got a floppy forehead. But, so, but <laughs> saying that... Which again was my nickname in primary <laughs> school. Horrible.
1: <laughs> but saying that, uh, you probably don't really want to go overboard with that because it is a neurotoxin.
0: Yeah. So new, So these exotoxins are on both gram-negative and gram-positive. Yeah, much bacteria. more
1: gram-positive, I believe. Yeah. But both. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then you have your um, Tetanus. Tet- tetanus, Tetani. it does the opposite. It
0: contracts those muscles. So you get spastic paralysis. Everyone that's listening, Google tetanus uh, and have a look at the uh, – because you you've probably, you all probably had your tetanus shot. but You've probably never seen anybody who has had tetanus. Uh, it's great because we have our tetanus shots. But have a look at some paintings that people oh, yeah. have drawn yeah. ab- on tetanus in the past. And it is not something that is enjoyable. Every muscle of the body is contracted simultaneously. Antagonistic muscles pulling themselves apart. Muscles being well, I think it's called torn off the bone. Lock-jaw. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's,
1: yeah. So just a couple of points here. Um, these were probably one of the first. So these exotoxin, these were called toxoid vaccines. So these were probably the first real classification of vaccines because they were easy to study, and that was probably in Louis Pasteur's day, Uh okay? So they knew that, you know, if you were to get these bacteria and whatever they produce and then put it into a a sheep or something, Mm. it would cause diphtheria or cholera or anthrax. Uh And so all the vaccines come from this. Now, a sad story from this was they – I think it was diphtheria – and this was probably in the 20s i think in america yeah they would i could have the date slightly wrong but it's around that time they what they would do is they'd get the diphtheria toxin and they would inject it into horses into or, horses into horses okay and the horses would say
0: yeah, diphtheria well, causes diphtheria causes
1: dysentery No, that's cholera. Diphtheria is is more respiratory. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think diphtheria means leather. Yeah, yeah. So the back of your throat became like a a leather pouch. Yes. Which then can dislodge and cause respiratory issues. Wonderful. So I think – so it was more of a childhood condition where children would get serious respiratory issues. So I think what they did was they got the toxin from the diphtheria bacteria, put it into a horse. The horse immune system said, what the hell is this? I better – make some antibodies to it, gave them, you know, a couple of days, weeks, I don't know how long. Um, But then the technician would pull out a couple of litres of blood. Right, that's a lot. Spin it down Mm -hmm. and separate the plasma. And so that was the serum portion. fluid part, yep. And in there were the antibodies. Okay. And then they would give that to children.
0: How long ago was this? I think
1: the 20s or 30s.
0: Nice, okay. Now there was a case. So anyone complaining about vaccines today... Yes, that's right. Or maybe oh, just calm, calm the farm a little yeah, bit. Yeah, at least you're not getting horse blood. Well, this comes to an interesting events.
1: point. There was, and this is a horrible story, but a, um, I forget maybe in um, Iowa. Yeah, I think there was a GP that administered this this, this vaccine, diphtheria vaccine, to children to a whole a number of children in the community, and then uh, within a couple of days, parents will come in saying, "My child's got." Some crazy symptoms. Can you come yeah. up and look? And they were all, they all died from tetanus, Ugh. which is, like you mentioned, horrible. So why death. tetanus? Well, the horse got infected with tetanus. Oh, and so
0: just it just was coincidental. Coincidental, and, and because the tetanus toxin, was, or at least was bacteria, in the, was in with the, the blood.
1: blood, and so they the, got that at the same time. The technician, act, the, tec- the technician actually got them bloods mixed up. So oh, they saw the infection in the, in the horse. They told them we need to isolate this, but the technician mixed it with Ah, the, the, okay. And then... What went. a fool. So it goes to what you're saying that, you know, it was a kind of imprecise method of a vaccine, even though it was very effective mm. in its own way, mm. compared to now, yes. there's some, a lot of other techniques. That well, are it's
0: difficult. because of all these those issues that have happened in the past. We now have controlling government agencies that make sure that... They go through certain degrees of trials now. All right. We've done three now. We need to move on. I think the next one we need to- So that was bacteria. What what do you think of that? Oh, look, I think that you're the bacteria king. I'm not sure. You are the bacterium of our podcast, I would say. Now we're talking about fungi because that's- I'm the fungi of the podcast. So now we go into the eukaryotes. Okay. The true nut.
1: So now these are cells much more like us.
0: Oh, yeah. Fungi, you and fungi share a lot of things. You and mould share so many things in common.
1: Unless you're um, slimy mould, which is then a protist.
0: Which actually is... Um, uh, Your band name. Is the, <laughs> I was going to say it's the uh, Todorovic coat of arms. <laughs> It's <laughs> a slimy mould. Uh, for other Todoroviches out there, don't get offended. I'm a Todorovich. We're all brothers and sisters here. So we're talking about fungi. They are eukaryotic. Size,
1: size. um, Two to 200 microns.
0: So they're probably... But you can have fungi that are huge.
1: Like mushrooms.
0: Yeah. So yeah. that's bigger than a micron.
1: I think that's its reproductive organ. Because
0: fungi are, are multi... Cellular, yeah, yeah. right? So they're eukaryotic, so their DNA sits within a true nucleus. They are surrounded by a cell wall. So they've yeah. got a bit of us.
1: Different cell wall though. And a
0: bit of bacteria.
1: So what were the bacteria cell wall?
0: They were peptidoglycans. Yeah, but so this cell wall is like chitin and glycoproteins yeah. and chitosin. And no, no, glucan. not kitosine. Yeah. Just
1: chitin. No, chitosin's part of it. Chitosan, I think, because this is what I did my PhD in, uh, I use chitosin as, a, um, as the wrap, the nerve wrap. So, we got chitin and we reconstituized it. That's probably not a word. Nope, not a word at all. Um, and made it into, into made it into it. Yeah, that's right. Made it into chitosin. Okay. Okay. So, chitocin was, it's a
0: polysaccharide. Yeah. Okay. But so, just so everyone knows, chitocin is part of the cell wall. Is
1: it called chitosin or just chitin?
0: You've got chitin and chitosin. Okay. And so, the difference between the two is the. That's all right, you fall off your chair. Um, With disbelief. Chitin is what we call an amide derivative of glucose, while chitosan is a linear polysaccharide compound.
1: And that's actually part of the, the, the cell wall of the fungus. Yes.
0: The okay. key difference between chitin and chitosan is that chitin doesn't have any free amine groups, whereas chitosan has free amine okay. groups. All right. So that's corrected. the amine portion of the amino acid side of things. So amine NH3, NH2? It's 2 maybe? Who cares? All right, so fungi cell wall made up of not peptidoglycans yeah. is basically yeah. the point here. It's yeah. made up of chitin, predominantly glycoproteins, man, and so forth. Uh, so fungi are strange creatures because they're a little bit like us, they're a little bit like fungi, they're a little bit like plants. In actual fact, fungi are more closely related to us than plants. plants.
1: So more to animals, you mean?
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. So in the split, in the evolutionary split – You had us split away from plants. And when I say us, I mean our ancestors. Mm. And then our our split split again to Doravitches way back. Slowing molds. (laughs) Then then our split split again and that's where fungi and and other eukaryotes came from. Okay. So fungi are pretty old but they're not as old as plants and they're closely related to us and they've got very complex communities. And a a fungi can be like um, a fungi can be
1: a yeast. Yeah. So I think there's two forms that can be. It's in like a round cellular phase or type or morphology, and that's yeast.
0: So single cell is yeast. Yeah. Yeah. Or multi or
1: hyphae, hyphae, hyphae. Okay. Um, Which is filamentous, spread. That would be more like plant-like, where it's kind of got roots and so forth that spread out.
0: So single cell is yeast. Multi cell is mold and mushrooms. Okay.
1: I'm not sure. Um, can yeast clump as multicellular or they're always operating as single cell?
0: Oh, I think they're always unicellular. Okay. Yeah. But, I mean, they can work together as unicellular but never multicellular. Okay. Yeah.
1: So, in terms of diseases they cause, again, quite...
0: Before we do that, can I just quickly say that there are 3 million fungi species. Only 500 can cause human infection. Now... We've got a whole bunch of fungi that live on and in, in us, yep. right? Like Candida, for example. And we'll get to that in a sec. But very few fungi are primary pathogens, so they don't. If we get it, we. Do- you know, cause it causes disease. Very few do that. Most are opportunistic. Oh, okay. So most are fine if we've got a great immune system, right? But if our immune system is diminished, or um, and I think that's where candida really comes way. into it. Exactly, exactly right. So do
1: you have the? Do you have any list of the ones that are cause primary
0: infection? No. Okay. But this is the interesting thing about. Glad you brought it up. Fungi. <laughs> this is the interesting thing about fungi infections. They're not vector-borne, so it's.
1: Oh, I'm brought in by something else.
0: That's right. Which we're going to talk about when we when we talk about parasites, right? Okay, that's the Barton um, family. So <laughs> when we talk about protozoa, right? They're, they're vector and, and bacteria can be vector introduced as well. So, and, and viruses, vector born, right? So things need to introduce it. So, does not happen with fungi, not vector-borne. It's not sexually transmitted either. So you can't get it through human sexual interaction and it's not really person-to-person transmitted either. So you have a look at all the different ways that these other infectious diseases come to us and it's not how fungi works. Fungi, we often get because it's already living on or in oh us right, so and it then becomes opportunistic. Okay, We right. can get it from l 2 like mold, you can get inhalation of spores and so forth, but generally speaking, opportunistic, already in and on us. Yeah, I okay. thought that's an yeah. important point yeah, to, yeah, it's interesting. to bring about that you didn't know. I definitely didn't
1: know. No. I didn't even know about chitin so and that was he my PhD. did his PhD on yeah, it. Yeah, okay,
0: everyone, what a moron.
1: All right, so in terms of infections, there's kind of two main categories of what infections they cause is, Superficial, All right? Or, or within like say deep tissue, yeah. Okay, so superficial generally refers to uh,
0: dermophytes. Dermophytes is this where one skin fights another piece of skin? No, fights is in love, I think, or it's f- that's interesting because f- it sounds like the opposite of what it should be, where yeah. it's pH, hating. pH, pH. Oh, yeah. so the power of hydrogen. So, dermo,
1: what, what do we know about the, the prefix dermo? Dermo means skin, yeah. So, this is basically the superficial types of. Infections, and fungal fight. infections.
0: And fight is the act of loving. Is that right? Well, that's philic. That's good. Yeah, but philic is uh, Love. being. Okay. But f- is fight doing? Not sure. So
1: this is referring to infections, um, superficial infections to skin, hair, nails. So the outside covering of us. Yeah. Now these are generally going to be referred to as Tinea? Tinea. <laughs> tinea. Like what you've got between your toes.
0: Well, what you would call
1: that, tinea petis, because petis being foot. Okay. Whereas if you had tinea capitis.
0: Fight means plant. There we go. We're way off. So skin plant, (laughs) which makes more sense. We're way off. Because fungi being a skin plant. Why would you say fight means love? Where would you pull that from? You just made that up.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure where I got that from.
0: Yeah, okay. So, so how much can the listeners believe you, Matt, with anything you say now?
1: So the tinea is sometimes referred as wing, ringworm, but that is not going to be hel, okay. helminths that we're going to mention shortly. So it's not, so actually, it's not fungi, it's helminths. It's not actually a worm. It's an incorrect terminology when you hear the term ringworm. Wait, I'm confused. Is ringworm... It, it's basically meaning, uh, you know, tinea. A um, fungal infection to the skin.
0: It is fungal. Yeah, it's not a worm. It's not a helminth. It's not a protozoa. It is a fungi. Right. So that tinea that you've got. So if you've got tinea pedis,
1: tinea pedis, sometimes known as athlete's foot. Yes. That's affecting the skin, nails, but on your feet. Right. Like pedis, meaning foot. Foot. So what's the other tinea? Capitus, which would be scalp or head.
0: And is it the same?
1: Same fungi. Yep. Just
0: in a different Just spot. Just in a different location. Right, yep. interesting. Then you can have the
1: deep the deep ones, which would be systemic and affecting organs. This is probably the ones that are most likely to uh, happen to immune-compromised persons. Yeah. So the opportunistic fungal yeah. infection, And that would be life-threatening. Mm, and this absolutely. would be probably p- people with HIV. Finally, the most common one that would be impacting humans in terms of a, a yeast fungal infection would be the Candidia. Which yeah. is a yeast. Candida. Okay. Opportunistic. Again, it can be in two forms one being the rounded yeast like, or the um, phyla, mm. hypha spread, which has the ability to kind of burrow in, I think, through your skin okay. and cause the infection. And the the Candida's most, all many, d- over the place, right? Many different types, s- species of, but the most common is the Candinia albicans. Candida. Yeah, Candida. Yeah.
0: Um, There's also a really important respiratory one, which is uh, aspergillosis, and that causes. That oh, more mold, right? Uh, yeah, and that's three million deaths per year yeah. is from chronic pulmonary aspergillosis. Yeah, that's um, through, like you said, spores through the airway,
1: right? Mm. Yeah. Um. Finally, what in terms of say these infections that can. Data. Data. yeah. <laughs> um, they would generally manifest in particular locations. So um, mouth, so that's sometimes referred as oral thrush. Um, for babies, they can get like a nappy rash around the groin and then yeah. for more so women uh, in the vagina or around the vagina. Yeah. Now, the reason it kind of manifests as like... Um, it almost looks like pustules. That's not so much pus like you would see in a bacteria infection. It's actually the degradation of keratinocytes and keratin, which yeah. forms like a coagulated protein like
0: of our cells. Of
1: our cells. Yeah. So it would kind of produce enzymes that would destruct your keratinocytes, whether it's on if it's on your skin that would be keratinized or if it's a mucous membrane, non-keratinized, but it breaks down that kind of layer which causes like the cottage cheese appearance, which is Um, thanks for that on the back of your tongue or the tonsils and that's how it would manifest in a with oral thrush okay there i think that's really it and most cases the, the reason why you'd get these candida infections would either be through old or very young people where their immune system hasn't been uh matured enough matured enough or in certain people that have Compromising their immune system, absolutely, or more so diabetics. I think that's probably more to do with sugar. high amounts of sugar.
0: Yeah, being uh, just a nutrient for it to grow.
1: So that's fungi or All fungus. Right. Yeah. Um, now we can I also say
0: people. It, it's referred to as mycotic disease. Yeah. So fungal disease, mycotic. So mm. people who mycology, Myco- mycosis, mycology. My, so mycosis is being infected by fungus. Yeah. Uh, mycotic disease, referring to fungal and diseases. Antimycotics is the drugs. That's, that's useful. right. And mycology is the study of. Fungi. Okay. Just so everyone knows, because you and may read that term and go, "Wait a minute!" It doesn't necessarily- and fights mean
1: plants? Yeah, that's <laughs> right.
0: That's right. All right. Uh, protozoa. Protozoa,
1: or t- what I think, the heck are these? Things? I think these are technically should be classified as prot- protists, which okay. is the umbrella term. I think protozoa is just one arm of them. Oh, okay. The because the slimy molds, uh, protists, but yeah. not protozoa. Oh, so the okay. tardivishes. So these. Sized about one to five micro, sorry one to fifty microns in size. They're eukaryotic, so they are cellular like us, but they're usually unicellular, so they operate they're single operators. Yeah. Okay. Um, how do they get around? Well, they've got good question, Matt. They've got a flagella. Well, can I just
0: say that you can divide them in accordance with their locomotion. Okay. So you can have flagella, you can have pseudopodia. Okay. I'm going to say it. You're going to say what it means. They can have flagella. Uh, tail, maybe. Right. Pseudopodia. Um,
1: they drag themselves along the ground with uh, cellular extensions.
0: Yeah, like feet. Uh, I spo- don't think it's feet. I think yeah, they just. Podia, pod, pod feet. Uh, okay. So pseudopodia means fake feet. <laughs> okay. Right. All right. Uh, sporozoa. Is
1: this, is this how macrophages move, like the same kind of way? Yes. Okay. Sporozoa. Can I just say something about macrophages? Yeah, no, that's cool. You can
0: just uh, interrupt anytime you want. Just because so I heard it the other day, and I macrophages. thought it was cool. yeah, just yeah, on. macrophages. Yeah, it's something interesting about macrophages.
1: You know when someone gets a tattoo? Yeah. Um, where oh, does yeah. the
0: ink go? Um, into macrophages. <laughs> <laughs> Don't set it up like that. Um, the ink, I have no idea. Where does the ink go? Well, um, because your
1: epidermis is a conveyor belt of cells. Yes. And they just it kind of goes from the base layer to the top and then exfoliates off. Yeah. It has to be below the. Bottom layer, because okay. if it was in the epidermis, so it, it would just, just disappear. exfoliates off. Okay. Yep, like a, a fake tattoo. You know, the ones okay. you used to <laughs> print on yourself. They yeah, anyway, yeah. that's probably a bad example. All my tattoos are fake tattoos. But if you get it under the basal cell, it will stay there. All right, but I think that macrophages that come along and go, "What the hell is this stuff?" Yeah, they, should they be there. gobble it up. Ooh. Okay, but they move a bit, so they slightly move through their pseudopodia, and then they die. But that movement is enough to cause your tattoo to...
0: Blur. Blur. Wow, there you go. Isn't that cool? That's interesting. It is, it is interesting. So your
1: blurring of your tattoo, if you have a tattoo... I don't have um, a tattoo. ...is because um, macrophages. macrophages have swallowed up some of the ink and then died. Typical. Typical. Uh, microns away from where it gobbled it up, where it had its last meal.
0: Wow. There you go. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I said flagella, pseudopodia, sporozoa, and ciliates. Silly
1: is just like um, I think that just means eyelash, but doesn't have eyelash. It's just smaller hair. Yeah. What was the one
0: before that? Sporozoa. Spore. Just oh,
1: is this you mean how it moves? This is
0: divided in accordance with its locomotion. Spor-like. So it probably. Okay. I actually couldn't. I thought I, that was
1: just a part of its life cycle.
0: Yeah, maybe. Look. Okay. Protozoa, protists. Aren't my bag. <laughs> nor mine, nor mine. <laughs> All right. So what do we what do we know about these? Okay, so these they are eukaryotic um,
1: they can operate in a few different ways. They can be completely extracellular. Okay. They can kind of switch between extracellular and intracellular, so it can be facultative intracellular, or some can actually completely live intracellular. But I don't know if the whole life cycle so for instance, if we want to use an so example a
0: slime mould is a protest, not a yeah. fungi.
1: It, no, it's, I said that earlier. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, gotcha, that's right. Gotcha. It's not a part of a fungi. It's part of a protist. Yeah. So other
0: examples are algae, amoebas, yeah. plasmodium, and slime molds.
1: Yeah. So, um, so th- there's some good examples. So amoeba is something you would have possibly heard causing like a dysentery-like thing or giardia, which is kind of like a protist that comes in. And I've
0: had giardia before. It's and not enjoyable. it
1: Irritates the bowel. I don't I, I just forget which one does which but one of them kind of shortens the microvilli in your gut and the, so you lose the absorptive capacity of your gut and you just crap out water. Mm. And so you have chronic watery diarrhea yeah. until that's been overcome. Yeah. Whereas I think the other one I don't know which one's which causes more bloody diarrhea, but both of them are generally associated with contaminated Water or food, yeah. that leads to quite significant um, gastrointestinal problems. Now, the other one, which is the pl- plasmodium, that's associated with malaria. Yes. So I'll quickly just run through this and then I'll Well, stop. malaria is very important, so yes. yes should. So this has a, um, uh, not a host, what, what was the term you used? Uh, um, Flagella? No, no, uh, it comes in by something else. Pseudopodia? No, I don't the organism brings it in. Well, oh, vector. It, vector, there we go. Okay. So the vector in this case for malaria is, we, we all know, mosquito. Oh, so you mosquito. can't technically blame the mosquito here. It's just the carrier. Okay. Now, the mosquito is carrying the plas- or the protista or the protozoa. In this case, the category of it is the plasmodium. Uh, I think there's at least five or six subcategories of it, mm. which could cause different degrees of severity of the of the malaria. But essentially what's happening is when the mosquito comes along to take some blood out, which mosquito will do this Is a male or female? Uh, female. Female. Cause it yeah. needs the nutrients for its eggs. There you go. So at, in the process of it, putting its proboscis into your skin, into the dermis layer, cause there's no blood in your dermis, right? So it has to go no, through right. the dermis. Um, it will, without wanting to do this to you, well, actually, I haven't interviewed them, so I'm not sure this is a true <laughs> statement. But uh, it's salivary glands, which I guess is what it uses to numb your yeah. skin, it so you don't it, you don't know. And and it, but I think it also makes your blood more um, anticoagulant. Yeah. yeah. So in the process of doing that, it introduces the plasmon plasmodium in its developmental stage. Yeah. Okay. So it goes now into your blood. This blood is then taken to your liver. So this is the the first main life cycle. So this takes about one to two weeks, depending on the species of plasmonium. So it's now in your liver, reproducing asexually. Yep. These now become merozoites or merozoites. Yeah. Sounds like something, something off Futurama.
0: Mm, Merozoite.
1: Yeah, and then this goes back into your blood. That's right. Uh, I think at this stage it's probably more extracellular. It, well, okay. that, it, No, it, in it, the liver.
0: Yeah, it jumps but, into the RBC.
1: But now – no, well, this is what I'm getting to now. So now it's in the blood, but now it can jump into the RBC. Right. And once it's in the RBC, now it goes to its intracellular. So now it's an obligatory intracellular parasite. Yeah, has to be in a cell. Yeah. Now, just for this point here, again, this will vary in, so, in, in duration. So this could be generally two or three days, but it could be as short as 24 hours. Now, when it does this, um, when it's done it – what it needs to do in the red blood cell, the red blood cell explodes. And this, I think, counts for the fever component of the malaria. Yeah. So this would determine whether you have fever bouts daily, every second day, every third day or beyond. Yeah. Now, interestingly, the phase of getting into the red blood cell, this is um, where you look at malaria. We have in the world the malaria belt, which is usually around the equator. Yeah. But there's a region in Africa that has some resistance to malaria. Do you know what these kind of characteristics of red blood cells are? Sickle cell? Yeah. So people who have genotypes, or maybe phenotypes, both, um, that are more like the, the red blood cells are more likely to be shaped like half moons.
0: Yeah, the phenotype of it, yeah.
1: Not to say they all have this, but they're more going down that lineage. Yeah. For some reason, the... Uh, merozoites can't get into the red blood cell in this top. So, this is a protective.
0: So, sickle cell blood yeah. doesn't get malaria or more difficult to more get. More difficult. So, now
1: it's a, it becomes a selected pressure. So, right. this is why you see people with certain anemic like conditions. So, this could be sickle cell thalassemias and glucose 6 phosphate. They have been kind of selected for because. There's a selection pressure for... Which
0: is really interesting because you've got something that would not necessarily be selected for because it negatively influences the lifespan of the individual, right? Yet, there's a competition here between which one lasts longer. That's right, that or malaria. Malaria will kill you off faster. Yeah, that's right. And therefore, you can survive to reproductive age longer if you have a blood disease like sickle cell anemia.
1: Because the at-risk group for malaria is children. As in like most likely to die Absolutely. so half
0: a million a yeah, year yeah so
1: okay so it's now in the red blood cell it spends a few days weeks in the red blood cells and then it will generally pop out but in the red blood cells I think mostly it's going through mitosis but when it pops out it's in a more gamete gamut that's right t- type um, phenotype yep. then the mosquito comes back not the same mosquito comes back brings brings some blood out but in doing so it sucks out the gametes that's right it goes to the gut of the mosquito where it meets other gametes and this is i think more so sex sexual cells, yeah. uh and then it produces a zygote and then an oocyte which then migrates up to the salivary gland and, and it then all happens again,
0: again. Yep. so what is actually killing these people at what point of this life cycle
1: i think yep. it's either it the destruction um, of hemolytic the red blood malea, cells? Yeah. or probably Fevers, um, or um, I think there's one subcategory of malaria called cerebral malaria. So brain specific goes into coma. Okay, Um, but but some people get some people get like um, clots and um, uh, embolism that can die from
0: it. What other points about protests?
1: Oh, that's all I've got really. Okay,
0: so So single-celled eukaryotes. There's so many different types. Malaria is probably one of the most common.
1: Uh, yeah, oh, definitely. I think the, that's the most causing, causing the most effect to humans. But you've got amoebion, ga- which Gaia. is which is going to feed into the infectious diarrheas in, in the developing world.
0: All right, Maddie, let's move on to worms, helmets. So, th-
1: so this is the longest uh, infectious agent in terms that of mean? size.
0: Oh, it's the biggest. Can go from three
1: millimetres yeah. up to ten metres.
0: Ten metres? <laughs> yeah. So someone's had a ten metre worm inside of them.
1: Presumably, yes. Wow.
0: So these are multicellular Multicellular. parasites. Eukaryotics? Yeah. Yep. 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 Okay. So eukaryotic, multicellular, and generally we call them worms. Mm -hmm. Um, They're actually the most prevalent infection in the world. The the leading cause of morbidity is these helminths. So 1.5 billion people worldwide will have at least one species of parasitic worm inside of them. Yeah, wow. All right. So – this includes nematodes, which are roundworms, bloody uh, helmets, which are flatworms. Bloody helmets. That was a swear word. No, no, bloody helmets. Nematodes are roundworms. Bloody helmets are flatworms. So yeah. they're the two major types. Yeah. And the bloody helmets. or fl- tapeworm. Wait a sec. And the bloody helmets, which are the flatworms, can be subdivided into tapeworms and uh, schistosomes or flukes. Okay. Wow. Okay. So. Life cycle is egg, larval stage, adult stage. Yeah. And most of them can't live the whole life cycle in a human. Yeah, I Some think one, can, but I most I think once can't.
1: it's at, at its adult stage, it doesn't reproduce first. Right. It just pumps out eggs.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And obviously that, those and that's
1: how it would get longer and longer and longer and longer.
0: That's right. Um, mortality rates are pretty low for helminths because they want to live with us. Uh, but the morbidity is quite high, especially in children. So the diseases that come along with it are quite high. And okay. often they're like nourishment issues, malnourishment, because there's a competition for the food stuff that's coming in. So if it's a child, malnourishment, but also growth and development issues can be. And
1: I think this is where the, um, the hypothesis or theory of the, um, what's it called? The hygiene theory comes from. Yeah. In terms of we've always lived with worms for a worm to survive in us, it has to produce like a an um, an, an immune suppressing mm. response. And in doing so, um, it could actually uh, bring your immune vigilant down a bit. And so the thought, and it's a hypothesis, I'm not sure where it currently stands. I read this a number of years ago. But the thought is, because we've always been infected by worms, our, it keeps our immune system in check a bit. And so when we live in a, a society now where we're ultra sanitised, let's mm. say, and we don't have worms living in us, our immune system kind of is bored, mm. doesn't have anything to do. Yeah. So it's more likely to cause hypersensitivity and autoimmune diseases. Yeah. And I think there's, a, there's there's been discussion that even in some conditions like some irritable bowels, that if you were to be infected... By, let's say, one of these helmets, it can actually improve. Yeah. I'm not sure where that stands currently. Yeah. So
0: it's, it's, they've, they, they don't say that anymore so much. So the hygiene hypothesis does include that, but also includes simply just as being younger, exposing yourself to more antigens helps prime the immune system better. So while that's part of it, They've, they've more recently backpedaled a little bit from, from making these statements. They had people buying bum worms off the internet and just ingesting them so their asthma would disappear. But the problem is with, with this, and this is what they've been finding recently, is that... Where
1: does bum worms fit into the um, three categories? Oh, yeah, so <laughs> they'll be tapeworm.
0: A, okay. Bumworms are tapeworm. Um, so type of flatworm? So uh, that's right, type of platyhelminth. Um, <laughs> these worms... So helminths can evade the immune system by encapsulating themselves in cysts. And so they just remain outside the immune system's target zone. They can acquire host antigens. So they basically become indistinguishable from the host. And then the third one, which is what you were talking about, is they inhibit or downregulate the host immune system. And in doing so, it dampens the immune system from hyperactive immune Disorders like asthma and, and and so forth, but in saying that, they've now shown that it does increase the risk of other infections like tuberculosis and HIV and so forth. Oh, doesn't yeah. So so while the, there's sort of like that trade off, while it may diminish asthma in some people or at least the symptoms of asthma because it's a hypersensitive disease, hypersensitivity disease, it increases the risk of other infections. Um, so in like the the. Types of diseases that these things can cause are usually due to just obstructions. If you've got like a 10-meter worm that's blocking up a bowel, right? Because
1: um, they, can, they can also go to liver, right? And then just yeah, Flukes. And they yeah, just kill liver fluke. cells off.
0: That's right. So you're going to have liver flukes. And if you Google a liver fluke, it's the grossest thing you've ever seen. Um, they can invade host cells and tissues and therefore cause damage. Uh, and they can also compete for nutrients like B12, for example. Or just or blood. Or blood, and
1: I think that's the main issue. With the most common one being the hookworm. Mm. If you had a handful of them, would be no issue. But if you had thousands, that's a, and they're yeah. pulling a lot of blood out of your gut, um, then you're going to have issues.
0: And that's a big, that's a, it's an important point because, m- like I said, 1.5 pe- billion people around the world are living with at least one of these worm species, um, mostly to no effect, mm. right? But if you've got if they're too big or there's too many. Or, Ill, or you become immune-compromised, maybe. Or you become immune-compromised. Now, interestingly, some people who've had these worms, if they get cured chemotherapeutically, so just with drugs, not cancer treatments, but, you know, drugs, um, many of them actually don't get infected again, reinfected. Okay. We don't know why. Um, but we think that this gives us a good indication that we might be able to have a vaccine for helminths. So they, they think that you can prime the immune system from previous exposure somehow – and that's what vaccines do, Yeah, primes the immune system from a previous exposure or an exposure in a different way. Um, so, look, that's, I don't have too much more about these helmets. I know that they can be gross uh, and my daughter has had tapeworm. Oh. Um, that's not enjoyable. I remember, I
1: remember you telling me that story.
0: Yeah, it's not enjoyable. What happened is that she got restless legs. Uh, Did she have you know the link there? She couldn't eat. Yep, there is. You don't know, do you know what it is? No, I'm not sure. I think it's just uncomfortableness. Um, uh, hunger waned. If you go from moments of eating a lot to not eating much at all. Uh, I and mean, is
1: that just like a um, – generally kids just get it from like – Other kids. Hyg- hygiene,
0: not washing hands and that's then eating. Right. Yeah, it's poo. It's through poo. So just fecal oral. Yeah, kindy. Um, and then during the day, not too bad. And then it's night time that's a nightmare because – at night, we don't know what it is, but I think when the light goes turns off, they then are attracted outside. Backstreet back Boys bumhole in the backstreet. <laughs> that's right. That's that's, their, baby. that's the baby. When name the for lights them. go out. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant because they were coming out of the bumhole. That's why they called the Backstreet Boys, <laughs> not because of the song. Um, yeah. So she would like be crying and saying her bum is itchy and sore, and then you'd have a look. Dozens just crawling out of the bum. Um, just wriggling out, and they're like maybe like a couple of mils long white worms, wow. just wriggling out. And so you you just give them a a drug, and um, you saw them come out all dead. Oh right? yeah, they come it's, out yeah, and it takes days. So it's like a one. It's it's a, it's a single treatment uh, about ten days apart. Um, so because two, you two, got to
1: because you got to get rid of the active and then pr-
0: prevent the cysts coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly right because so. She probably got it a month prior and it takes the life cycle for the eggs to grow to that in about a month. And then you have to give the first lot of the metrazoanide, I think it is, Um, and that kills off the active ones and then any eggs that remaining... Um, you got to give them another dose ten days later. They'll hatch, and then exactly. you got to get them off. And you got to clean the crap out of your house. Did you? As well. Did you get it? I didn't get it, but I took the drug. Yeah. So and we, and that, is that generally we what now just deworm her every couple of months? Now we just give her the metrazolide every six months. Okay. Um. Oh, not every six months. Probably once a year we give her that, just to and then we'll stop soon. But while she's at kindy and she's not very good at the whole hygiene thing. Um, we do that. So yeah, it, it's it's a nightmare. It was a nightmare because it happened for even when you gave the drugs, it was still three three nights of no sleep because she got an itchy bum. What do you do? And you, and the, the problem is, you, they I scratch. I guess that's just like
1: a histamine response, right?
0: Yeah, and they scratch, and then they go under their nails, and yeah. then so they that's reintroduce how it, it. Yeah, it's horrible, horrible. Anyway, I think we're done, Maddie. I think we've done viruses prions, bacteria, fungi, protozoan, and helmets, and it only took us two hours. One, fi- one hour, 55 minutes. That's right. Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, everybody, look, if you're still listening, thank you so much. Please Stand give us awake. five stars. You can rate us now on Spotify. Oh, my God. Rate us on Spotify. Give us five stars. Tell us how amazing we are. If we're not worth five stars, go do something else. Go listen to Jobert Rogan. <laughs> hey, you can listen to both of us. There's some entertaining things on that program, but uh, there's also. I just meant Spotify. I I wasn't saying anything. Okay. Maybe I'll cut that out this episode. (laughs) Um, You can send us an email at uh, gubiosciences at gmail.com or just me, Dr. Mike Todorovich at gmail.com. Topic requests. I'm on Instagram, Dr. Mike Todorovich. I'm on TikTok, Dr. Mike Todorovich. I'm on Twitter, Dr. Mike Todorovich. Matt's on nothing because he's boring. But but you you can have on Don't have the time. Yeah, okay, like I do. All right, everybody. It's wonderful to uh, have another chat with you. And, Matt, it's it's good to see Grand, you. Grand, like always. See you, everyone. At,
1: at the start of this podcast, yeah. I was like friend, colleague, yeah. um, et cetera. Now, enemy. Enemy.
0: Enemy. Enemy of the state. Okay. All right. See you, everyone. See you,
1: Mike. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with quins.